This is Sunny D. West, and this is the Sunny D. West Audio Experience. We're past the whole drinking the Kool-Aid thing. No, you know, we're not going to catch a comment or anything like that. Come on now. But let's do this. Let's pray, because I always need it. So, Jesus, help, please. Just be present. Let your, let your presence just be here in our midst. Let your glory just fall even more in this place. God, we want to do nothing apart from, from your ways and from your presence. Thank you. Well, that was a good drink right there. So, but uh, I'm excited for my message. No one has any idea what I'm doing with this Kool-Aid for the most part. Um, other than the fact that it has a really bad connotation. And I've been getting a lot of flack for doing this. And if you know anything about me, <laughs> bring it on. Because I believe what I'm going to be sharing tonight hopefully will empower you to pursue after your God-given destiny even further. Because there's something special. No. Oh. <laughs> but how many of you, when you were younger, had a lemonade stand? Any young entrepreneurs in here? All right, so a couple of us. Well, I'm from California. I'm from Sacramento. And we didn't have lemonade stands. We weren't country. So we had Kool-Aid stands. And so instead of selling lemonade, obviously, we sold Kool-Aid. But there were a number of us that did this. And like the street and apartment complexes where I grew up, there was always a bunch of us kids trying to outsell one another. And so there's all these Kool-Aid stands, you know, cardboard, cardboard boxes, tables, and all this different stuff. And it's like, you know, Kool-Aid's kind of like one of those things. It doesn't really ma- matter how you, like, even if you follow the instructions, every gl- cup of Kool-Aid is different. Every jug, gallon, uh, tea jar, whatever these are things are, they just happen to be red, and then I got red Kool-Aid. But anyways, and people don't even call it by flavors anymore. We just call it by color. You got green Kool-Aid, you got purple drink, you got red drink, whatever it is. We don't label it anymore by flavor. We just call it by color. I mean, when I was growing up, I remember my uncle would be making, you know, some, sometimes it'd come out brown. Because he'd be like, purple, red, yellow, you know, and mix all these different colors together. But, and then it just, all, the only thing that mattered was, was there a lot of sugar? And, amen, I heard an amen on that one. And so it didn't really necessarily matter how you made it, because it, it was never going to be, trop- you know, my packet over here says tropical punch. I'm doubting I'm going to taste pineapple. Actually, nothing in this picture looks tropical because it's an orange, a lemon, a lime, a grape, and a cherry. But I've been to places where it's tropical. They, they didn't give us any of these. Um, anyhow, <laughs> they gave us mangoes, pineapples, and different bananas and plantains and other things like that. And so it didn't really matter what you did with it. It always came out different. But there was always these different kids. There was a bunch of us doing this. So, you know, we didn't really have humidity. We just had heat in Sacramento. And I remember at some point as a young kid going outside and cracking an egg and watching it cook on the sidewalk. Because Sacramento can get up to 120. And that's hot. Like, I, but I'd still take that over humidity. And uh, so... Uh, it would, it would be like 120 outside. You're walking down the street, the sidewalk. You're going from your car to your apartment or your apartment to somewhere else or whatever it may be. And you see these different kids, and they have uh, various, you know, red drink stands, blue drink, whatever, different colors. And, fla- and you assume that there's a flavor, hopefully. And uh, let's be honest, you could just use uh, food coloring and sugar. And, uh, you know, but... You see all these different kids, but how do you know which one to drink? 
You got all the, and it's all the same price, you know, 25 cents, 10 cents, you know, I don't know what a cup of Kool-Aid would actually cost now. So, I mean, five packs for, 10 packs for $3, so what is that, like 30 cents each? So, anyways, inflation, so on and so forth. So we had all these different cups and different drinks and all this different stuff, but how did you know which one to drink? So let me paint the picture. You're walking down. It's 110 outside. It's hot. It's god-awful hot. It's gross. It's miserable. And you're sitting there going, wow, you, you know, I'm thirsty. You're starting to see, like, this, the precipitation come off here, you know, and it's, you can see, not this precipitation, the condensation from the different changes of heat and coolness and the ice is melting in here, and you see it dripping down. You're like, man, that looks good. Alex is over there like, man, that... When do we get to drink the Kool-Aid? <laughs> Jordan's like, I want some red drink. <laughs> and you sit in, in your, and you're like, well, I don't know which one to have. You know, you, you got this one over here. And, uh, you know, this, this one looks good. I mean, you, got, you know, why, why wouldn't I drink this one? And then, you know, and that kid's picking his nose. So you're like, oh. if, if that's on his hands, what's in there? You know, did he stir it? He's like, ah. You know, and then you got another kid over there. You know, he's just like not even paying attention. He's talking to a friend and whatever, and probably off in the distance on a slide playing tetherball. I mean, I had tetherball in the apartment where I grew up. I don't know. I had fancy apartments, apparently. And then you have this one kid. This kid, he's just sitting there behind his table. You see him, he's got his cup. He's over here with his Kool-Aid. And you see this kid behind his table, and he's just drinking it. He's like, you can tell he's enjoying it. But what kid, what kid do you buy from? You have three different choices. You have three different options. They're all, the, they're all relatively the same. It's something with sugar. But you know they're all three ice cold. But what, which one do you go, you know what? I want that one. Well, it's simple. You go to the one that's drinking their own Kool-Aid. Because clearly they're the ones that are, part, that are actually being refreshed by it. They're the ones that are benefiting from the fact that it's ice cold, that the flavor's good. If you know of a kid sitting there drinking this Kool-Aid, that it's probably going to be good, because kids are going to be honest. If this tasted horrible, it'd spit it everywhere. And to be honest, I didn't make this one. Someone else made this one. You know what? No offense, Mary, I don't like this one. There's not enough sugar in this one. It actually tastes like punch. Diet punch. But I have the ability to make my own Kool-Aid. Because I have all the ingredients up here to make my own Kool-Aid. And so I'm going to take a moment. I'm going to make my own Kool-Aid because I don't know about you. Alex, you like yours with good sweetness on it probably. And, you know, everyone else, you like yours with a good amount of sugar in it. Let's just... I got some sugar there, but uh, I told Mary that I was like, dude, there's not enough sugar in there. Like, no one's going to drink that one. Let's put some more sugar in there. This is how we do it. This is how we do it, guys. We got this red packet here of red drink because we don't want to be branded wrong or anything. So we pour that in there. That's more of like a maroon or a brick red. I don't know, but... So we got that. This this is going to be interesting. So we got this gallon of water here. I'm going to put the mic down so I can do this right. Well, because I'm making it. I'm not going to put all that water in there. 
I'm not worried about a little bit of water. I've watched Darren throw bottles of water at people. So we're going to give this a quick little stir. Good thing Mary gave me directions on how to do this. But we're going to give that a quick little whisk. So I kept a little bit of the water back. I kept, a, I added a little bit more sugar. I'm allowing the flavor to come out. I'm allowing that sweetness to be a little bit more just right there and quick little punch. No pun intended with the tro- tropical punch. I'm going to reach across here. Hopefully I got that right. Pour this out. Hopefully that'll dilute that nasty diet. Kool-Aid in there. I mean, diet Kool-Aid. Now that's it right there. Ouch, you want to try it? Tell me which... Come on. Here, just take this one, man. That's some quality Kool-Aid right there. See, it's all about the guy that's drinking his own Kool-Aid. About the guy that... You know what? I took back... I got to make it myself. I... Took back a little bit on the water, added a little bit more sugar. It brings the flavor of the fruit punch, you know, and how it's, you know, mechanically and chemically made. And, and I got the sugar to come out a little bit more because I kept back on that water and I able to change and keep the recipe how I would want it. So you would go to the little kid that's drinking his own Kool-Aid because he was actually enjoying it. You guys with me? People are still waiting for, like, where's the punchline? What is this guy talking about? But when you, if you're, if you're, you have to be willing to drink your Kool-Aid. Have you ever met somebody, like, invites you over for dinner, and they're not eating yet? And you're like, Why? But the thing is, is I made it like I would drink it. I remember when I used to work in a restaurant, I'd get in trouble all the time. I was a cook. I was a short order cook. Not because I'm short. Um, but be, that's what they call somebody that doesn't have to make a lot of food. And so I was a short order cook. And uh, I would always make stuff how I wanted to receive it. Like they gave me the recipe. They gave me the amount. And I was like... This doesn't feel like the right amount of meat. Let's add a little bit more. <laughs> like, that, like this looks skimpy. I, I know it says three ounces, but 3.275 is not going to make, you know, that's my mindset. But I'm like, it looks a little bit fuller. It's a little bit more appealing. It's a little bit more appetizing. That person that gets it is going to be like, man, this looks good. This finally looks like the picture on the menu. And so that's how, I mean, how many of you ever gone somewhere and you got something because of the picture and then when you got it back, you're like, clearly this was photoshopped. But what would it, how much would it mean to you to receive something when you got it and it looked like how it was described? It looked like how it, how it was presented to you. I agree. And see, that's the whole concept is I was able to make it myself, make it how I would want it. And so people would come in and not order from that part of the restaurant unless I was working it. Because I would make it how I wanted it. And it wasn't Burger King their way right away. It was what, you know, it was a different place. See, anyone who changed the world was convinced that whatever it was that the world needed... They had. They drank their own Kool-Aid. The message that was inside of them that they were declaring and preaching, the message that whatever it is that they were, dec- that they were basically presenting to society, they themselves were changed by their own message. And that's what I mean. You have to be willing to drink your own Kool-Aid. If you're not willing to drink it, then why would anyone else? Why would anyone else subscribe to whatever it is that you're trying to prescribe if you yourself won't take it? If you yourself won't just... It's gone. If you yourself won't let it go from and, and actually partake of it yourself, then why would anyone else really do that? 
And that's what I mean. You have to drink, be willing to drink your own Kool-Aid. You have to be willing to say, you know what? I like this. And this is good. So you have to be able to believe that you're going to change the world. Because you will if you believe it. Many people are thinking that they're just going to sovereignly change the world, but you actually have to come into a place of where the conviction of what it is that you believe and what you say actually falls upon you with the same weight, if not heavier, than what you want it to fall upon those who are hearing it. And the thing is, is you have whatever it is needed to change the world around you. It's already inside you. You're a carrier of whatever it is that is needed to do that. Because long before the existence of the earth, long before the existence of you, it was already set aside for you, for you to do that. See, you are a unique individual. Some of you know that. Some of you are well aware. As I am. I get it. There is not many people like me, if any. And that's okay. Because we don't need a lot of five, 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 four, you know, bearded, tattooed people running around. We already got enough tattoo bearded people running around. We don't need one my height, too. But I have my own unique message. You know, I remember one time texting Todd and saying, man, it's hard being the heart guy with all the glory guys. I said, I try to run with you guys, but my message is so different. And then God spoke to me one day and he said, stop trying to be that way. Be who I created you to be. See, I had to drink my own Kool-Aid. I had to be willing to swallow my own message. I had to take my own medicine, so to speak. But you are so individualistically created or made that there is none like you. And who you are and what is inside of you, people need. To be honest, what is inside of Alex or what is inside of Darren or Rich or Paula or Sherry or Kelly or anyone else in this room, I need what is inside of you to begin to come out of you so that we can partake of it so that I can begin to experience it because what you have will be the stepping stone to the next thing or the next place I need in my life to get to where it is that God wants me to be. Can I be real frank? This church needs you to become who you were always meant and intended to be. But the church is waiting for you to drink your Kool-Aid. The church is waiting for you to be in love with you. The church is waiting for you to love yourself. Because that's the most difficult task. Can I tell you why the church is at, up in arms with one another? Because we don't love ourselves enough. We've put the cart before the horse in this situation. We're too busy trying to love our neighbor when we don't love ourselves. But scripture clearly says to love your neighbor as you love yourself. How are you going to love your neighbor if you can't love yourself? The same thing that you're mad about somebody else for? You have the same issue. I hate to break the news to you. More than likely, 99% chance of whatever it is that you're really upset about somebody else, you're caring. And somebody's probably upset with you about it. And it's this vicious circle and it goes on and on and on and on. And it's really, you know, we act like children. But the, the, the answer to that solution is this, is that we know love because he first showed us love. And so the only way to actually begin to love yourself more is to pull back everything that we think God wants and then just leave us. When Jesus said that it would be easier for you to go through the eye of the needle, which was a physical location, than with X, Y, and Z, what he was saying was, it would be easier for you to go through a small crevice than bring all this religious crap with you. One person like that. See, 
All, all our Christian t-shirts and our ideologies and our really interesting theologies and our doctrinal statements and everything else has to get laid aside and say, Jesus, here I am. It's good to have that stuff because it creates a foundation. But in the end, it's you and him. And he begins to speak to you. Because we won't understand why we're lovable until we, understand, until we allow ourselves to be loved. And when we understand why we're lovable, we can begin to love others. We can step into something far greater. We can begin to drink our own Kool-Aid. That was good Kool-Aid. <laughs> I'm just saying, I may go back for a glass that I gave Alex. <laughs> But it's so important that we come into this place of falling in love with ourselves. And people try to warn, like, you know, all the glory. I was listening to something today, and it was talking about those who are of immature humility can't take a compliment. But those who have mature humility can take a compliment because they know it's Jesus. But those of immature maturity awkwardly try to hand it to him. We often confuse confidence with pride. But I believe that one of the greatest signs of confidence in the believer, or one of the greatest signs of being baptized in the Holy Spirit, is confidence. Because it's the spirit of sonship. It's the spirit of adoption. It's the saying, you belong here. You are loved and you are wanted. The things that make you great and the things that make you interesting are loved and wanted. And it's a mixture of those things that I will use and the world will come and drink from your cup. Because that's who I created you to be. I believe that one of the greatest forms of worship that we ever can step into is when we begin, begin to honor who God created us to be and then be that thing. Because you're honoring what he created. We're so busy trying to change it and mold it into something. You know, I, I was reminded about in the movie Captain America and... Well, what made you so special? And he said, nothing. I was just who I am. God's just looking for people that are going to be who they are. You know, the saying or the adage, I guess, would be, you know, God uses broken and messed up people because that's all he has. And it's like when we become okay with the fact that, you know what, he's the one that's going to change us. We don't have to change ourselves. That love, if we, if we really are open to love, it'll change us. I got a real interesting perspective of that this weekend. And I was uh, watching Baby Paris for a little bit uh, for Jessa. And she just wasn't listening at all. And, you know, she was trying to eat a marker. And I know, I, I know markers for, like, two-year-olds are probably pretty digestible. Um, you know, for, for, you know, they understand that, oh, it's, it can go in my mouth. Therefore, that's where it belongs. And because that's, I guess that's how babies think. And uh, so she kept on trying to do this. And I was like, no, stop it. No, stop it. No. And I'm like... I'm tired of saying this at this point. And finally, I just said, you know what? You're going to go in timeout. And it was the most difficult thing I had to do. Because I've never actually, I've, I don't have any kids, so I've never had to discipline one. But to discipline somebody that I love like that was so incredibly challenging and so difficult. I didn't like, I was so like perplexed and vexed about what I just did because now she's begging to not be in timeout. 
No, Uncle Wes, I listen. I listen. Uncle Wes, no. I'm sorry, Uncle Wes. I listen. No, you're not listening, and that's the issue. But I listen. Paris, you're not listening. I want you to sit here and be quiet. And when, you're, when, when, you, when, I, when I think you're done, you're done. But Uncle Wes, I listen. Then I try to correct her posture, like, you know, sit down in the chair, Paris. No, I listen. And she's kind of crying a little bit. And I'm, my heart's breaking. But I realized, why was I doing what I was doing? Because I loved her and I didn't want her to harm herself. And then it came to me. He disciplines those he loves. When we allow love to fully function in our life, we don't try to change ourselves, but we allow love to come in as the truest form of what it's supposed to be. He'll take care of it. He'll take care of you and he'll mold you into this vessel that he's always destined you to be. Because you are individualistically and beautifully and wonderfully and fearfully created by the hand of God, that you're his workmanship, that you're his craftsmanship, and he's in love with you, but he will discipline you. Eventually, I lit her out, and I said, Paris, you're done. Come and talk to me. And she comes up and sits on the ottoman. And I said, you know why I, I, I put you in timeout? She goes, I listen. I said, you didn't listen. She goes, I'm sorry. You know, and when you're trying to discipline a two-year-old, you're somewhere between laughter and heartache. <laughs> that weird borderline, and you know, the, those who are parents understand. And I got a real clear idea about it, though I've, like I said, I'm not a parent, but... I was just like, what do, I, what do I do? You know, like, and I said, I didn't want you to get sick. I said, do you understand? No. Because <laughs> a two-year-old's only going to understand to the level of their comprehension. You're going to only understand to the level of your comprehension. And Psalms 103 says that he remembers that we're fragile and that we're made of dust. In other words, he understands how fragile he understands our level of understanding. He knows where it's at. And then on the flip side of that, he has this plan and this destiny for you. But he needs you to believe it too. If God, he, he'll, he's not, <clears throat> see, the gifts of God being without repentance. Another way of looking at that is the gifts of God are, with, are given without Regret. See, he, he doesn't regret giving what he's given to you. But if you truly understood what was inside of you. See, most people, the real fear people have is how powerful they really are. I've met so many people, like so many couples and gotten to help some of them and realize that there was always this, con, like, agitation between them from usually from one part to the other and realizing that the agitation had nothing to do with their interactions but because the other one was afraid of how much they really loved the other person and so it created this insecurity it created this um kind of anxiety about it because that that requires vulnerability. And much like in the same way, you're so powerful that it can become fearful. That by a word, 
you can cause someone who's appeared to be deceased to come back to life. That by a word, by your voice spoken, a mountain can be here and then be put into the sea. But by a word, just a few pieces of bread and a few pieces of lunch meat can feed a village of 5,000. But only if you would believe in yourself and had the faith of a mustard seed. Because God believed in Job. He wasn't testing Job. He was showing off Job. When Satan came to God and said, how about this guy? And he says, hold on. Do you know my boy Job? Let me tell you. Oh, dude, you don't even know. Job is off the chain. Job is the coolest guy I know. Job, when tested and challenged, he's actually going to take it even further Just to prove you how strong he really is and how much he loves me. So if you want to test Job, why don't you go ahead and do it? Because I already know the outcome. See, God isn't looking to find out how strong you are. God is waiting for you to find out how strong you are. God is waiting for you to realize how much that you carry inside of you. That you have the potential to change the world around you and even further. But only if you believe. See, you've already been given every spiritual blessing according to Ephesians. That you've already been given the power of Holy Spirit within inside of you. That the same power, that same essence that resurrected Christ from the dead, according to Romans 8.11, already dwells within inside of you. What are you missing? There's no special ingredients. It was Kool-Aid, some sugar, and some water. It wasn't by... There was, there was no snake oil. There was no special anointing cloth. There was no special anything. All it was was, this is it. It's just that simple. You're not missing anything. It's you. It's always been you. The distance between you and your destiny is you. That's not even in my notes. That was good. I'm going to say that again just so I remember. The distance between you and your destiny is you. See, this is the underlying message of AME. This is, I'm going to be honest. This is a plug for AME. This is why all of you should be signing up for AME is because I want to help you live out what is inside of you and make it a reality. That you, it's like you have dreams right now and they're clouds, but I want to bring legs to those dreams and help you walk them out and help you live what the destiny that God has inside of you to do it and how to do it simply. But many people, they're too afraid to come into a place of saying, Well, what about this? Or what about that? I'm going to tell you what. I did all that. And what it did is it left me burnt out. It left me, you know, it's easier to swim than it is to tread water. We often confuse a boat going somewhere just because the sea is moving. The boat will move no matter what. But it doesn't mean it's going anywhere. See, but when you take and you believe what's inside of you, because God ordained it to be so, if you just had enough faith that could be the size of a... Have you ever seen a mustard seed? Itty, bitty, 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 bitty things. Little tiny things. But if you just had faith of a mustard seed, if you believed in yourself because it's already there, Because God wants to set you on a pedestal and glorify you so that he can become glorified. It's the one prayer that the church, for some reason, always looks the other way from. But Jesus said this, Father, I pray that you would glorify me so that you may be glorified. You were always meant to shine, that the glory of the Lord is upon you. 
It's inside of you. That the earth is waiting for it to come out of you. That there's a message and there's a purpose and there's a destiny. And it's always been there. Let's make this Jesus. Let's use our Bibles. Psalms 130, 17 and 18. That was clearly not the right one. Oh, I wrote that down wrong. Let's try seven and eight. Nope. What did I do? Let's not do that because that's, I wrote down the wrong scripture. And that's what happened. But what it is, is it's one of those, it's the song that says, these are the thoughts that I have towards you, that they're good, that they're numerous, that there are so many that they actually outnumber the sands on a beach. And what that word thoughts actually is, is the Hebrew word for raya. And the, raya, and the word raya means thoughts of thoughts of thoughts. And what it's alluding to is that there is no beginning nor end of these thoughts. And basically it's referring back to these are God thoughts. The thoughts of God towards you are without beginning and without end. Because he is the Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is an infinite loop. So the thoughts of God towards you are an infinite loop without beginning and without end. So therefore they're never ceasing, but they never begin because they're always constantly going. And so every single thought about you is good. So that means when, if you put it in context of the entire Bible, when God looked into the earth and he said, it is good, he was completely incapable with saying that the earth is good without you being in mind because his thoughts of you were good. They were always good. And that means he's always thinking about you because they outnumber the sands of any given beach and his thoughts towards you have no beginning and have no end. Therefore, his thought when he said, it is good, you were there in the beginning. Therefore, when he said, it is good, he wasn't just looking at the earth and the creation, but he was talking about everything that was inside of him. Referring back to you and me. Let's go to Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Let's hope I wrote this one down right. But we all know it. Oh, is it Psalms 139? <laughs> I, was, I just can't read my own typing. <laughs> That's what it is. So Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. So we already have the thoughts. We know the thoughts are good and they're infinite and they're without number. But here we are again where God's repeating this, saying, hey, you know what? I know the thoughts that I have towards you. In other words, I haven't forgotten. I know what it is that I think towards you. And though that you may be going through this situation, you may be going through this moment in life where it doesn't seem like everything's on the up and up, that you're in this season of plight and struggle and you're just wondering when it's going to end. But he's saying, you know what? I have not forgotten the word that I said about you, that I have plans for you that are of that are of good, that are, have hope, and that I have a future. I have something that you're going to like for you that's going to bring, that's going to give you glory because it's going to give me glory because when you shine, I shine. That sounds like a hip-hop song. <laughs> I probably know it somewhere in the back in the recesses of my mind. But just saying, when I hear random things snapping, yeah. <laughs> See, he's not giving up on you. He's being patient. And he's saying, I'm just waiting for you. He's all Jason Upton about it. I will wait for you. Anyways, I'll let Rocky do this singing. Let's go to Jeremiah 1.5. We all know it. But I want to use this as a principle. Not building a doctrine off of it. Before I formed you in the womb, 
I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. I want to talk, let's talk about the first two-thirds of that scripture. Because not everyone's a prophet. But everyone was formed in him before they were in their mother's womb. And he knew them. And, bef- and everyone before you were born, you were reconciled. Because Jesus says that we've been given the ministry or the word of reconciliation. And that Jesus went on the cross to reconcile the whole world unto the Father. So therefore, you've been sanctified. You've been given a calling. You've been given a hope, a future. Every thought that God has towards you is good. That you have a purpose on this, on this earth. Let's go to John 1. And then we'll start in verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Let's break it down simply, or in West fashion, I would say. You weren't born because it's in the human DNA to reproduce. That's not why you're here on this earth. Oh, thank you. Now I, I was like, oh, it's so hot. But you, you're not here simply because it's in the human D, DNA to reproduce. You're not here simply because of some, you know, make love, not war mindset or lustful or flesh desire or however it may be. You're not an oops moment. Your parents may not have planned you, but you're not, a, you're not a mistake. And that's something that I struggled with because it was like, well, my dad didn't plan me. My mom didn't plan me. My dad was like, oh, responsibility, deuces, I'm out. And so, that deuces means peace, sorry. Um, hip-hop. When I shine, you shine. I thought I had to explain that for a minute. But in in addition to all of that, you were not created because your parents planned you. No matter how much planning you can do, it's not like a, and it wasn't like the Jesus and Joseph were like, what do you mean you're pregnant? How are you pregnant? We didn't didn't do anything. Like, how are you pregnant? You know, it wasn't that. It was by the Spirit of God that you were destined to be here. That he purposed for you to be in the earth. Because when he looked into the earth at that moment. He said, I needed you now. He looked in the earth and said, Jordan, I need you in the earth now. Darren, I need you now. Vanessa, I need you now in the earth. Because you don't understand. You're someone's Kairos moment. You are someone's God encounter. Who you are. Just who you are is someone's God encounter. And so there was something about who you are that had to be in the earth more now than ever. Because God needs a Darren in the earth. Come on. <laughs> he needs a Margot in the earth. He needs us in the earth. Because he chose way before us to use us. Because there's something inside of you that is going to reach a world that needs him. Do you believe that? 
See, the lack of response tells me that's why you need to drink the Kool-Aid. You need to begin to listen to what it is inside of you. You can't tell people who are going to change the world anything different. And it doesn't matter how much they're challenged. It doesn't matter what type of ugly thing tries to rear its head and attack the identity of that individual. I'm sure some of you probably saw it. I had an ugly assault on me Sunday night. This person attacked every aspect of my personal being of you could. From people I love to uh, health to everything. Belligerently and nonstop. Regardless of the amount of people that tried to interfere. And thank you for those that stood up for me. I Honestly, I... I'm blessed to have such people around me. But if I didn't drink my own Kool-Aid, that person would have won. If I didn't know who I am and who he destined to me, if I was still that young kid that said, you know what, I'm just a mistake because my daddy didn't want to stick around, that I was just somebody here to just pay taxes and die, that I don't serve a greater purpose than the purpose, than the person that tries to bring me down or whatever it is that tries to take a hold of me and abort the calling and the mission and the will of God on my life will become successful. And that is why you have to begin to drink Drink your own message. That is why you have to begin drinking your own Kool-Aid. Is because you have to believe what it is inside of you is so important that nothing can shake it. Because everything will try to shake it. I was so passionate I almost wanted to kick the table. (laughs) Then I was like, Darren will be mad if I break that table. And also if there's red Kool-Aid everywhere. (laughs) But you have to believe what's inside of you. You have to stand strong in that. Because everything will try to shake it. Everything around you will try to tell you otherwise. Even people you thought were friends, even people who you consider loved ones may try to tell you different than what you know, but you have to hold on to it. You have to grab a hold of it and you can't let it go because it's something that if you depart from it, it's like if that perishes, then you perish. It becomes so much of who you are. My message is so much of who I am that I can't get away from it, that everything I do is I eat, drink, and breathe that very message. I eat, drink, and breathe that very message that if I stray away from it in some fashion, in some form, I don't feel right. I feel out of sync. I feel like I need to realign myself with God or something of that nature because it's something of who I am. He's ingrained it in me that I have no choice, that I don't have an ability to step away from telling people about the loving kindness of my God, that I'm stuck and I'm, it's tattooed on who I am, literally. It's tattooed on who I am. I can never forget it. I can't step away from it. But if I don't begin to drink of it myself, how can I tell anybody? If I don't make my own Kool-Aid and begin to drink it, then what will I have to give? Your purpose echoes far louder than any shortcoming you may have. Paul said it like this. That I was the worst, I was the chief, I was the best of all sinners. But he counted me faithful. Larry Randolph put it this way. God factored my stupidity into the equation. I like what Darren was sharing earlier this evening. Someone asked his friend if he was an ex-con, and he said, no, I'm a new creation. Some of you know my story. Prior to getting saved, accidentally, 
thirsty. I'm going to drink my own Kool-Aid. I made it. Why not? You like that? On the microphone. (laughs) That's amazing right now. hit my pinky hard. Oh. Before being saved or getting saved or I was going after organized crime. I would have been if I would have gotten caught I would have been somewhere on drug trafficking and some white collar crime on top of that. I was working both ends of the stick on that one. Where, you know, the gangster mentality and then like the white collar crime. But God redeemed me. See, I knew something when I got saved that I was forgiven. That whatever it is that God had in store for me, whatever God had planned for me, was far greater than any of the stuff I did that my destiny superseded my sin. Tonight, I want to pray corporately with you that God would help you drink your Kool-Aid. Would he would awaken that thing inside of you. Before we do that, is there somebody here that's like a respiratory thing? It's, it's difficulty breathing and kind of... Is that you, Paula? Come here. Kind of on the chest and in the lungs. Asthma comes and goes. Can't even sleep. I hate when the enemy tries to do that. Well, Jesus... Bring healing into her lungs. And what the enemy has tried to steal in sleep, let it just be paid back to her. And let the anointing just go into her body, into her lungs, and give her a fresh breath of you. Thank you. Shoo. Who has, it's like an, it's an issue in like the right leg. Like, I feel like it's just like a random injury, but it's kind of, creates trouble walking. Does that make sense to somebody? In the right leg, injury, sprained ankle, knee, none of, okay. Well, if you're online, heal them, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's do this. Let's stand. If you have a heavenly language, just begin to pray in it right now. If you're watching tonight, I just I just pray right now that the presence and the Spirit of God would just fall wherever it is that you're watching from. That He would bring healing to your heart, that He'd bring restoration to your soul, that He would awaken the God that's in the God dreams that are inside of you, that He would awaken the giant that lives within inside of you. Like Ezekiel prophesied to the dry bones, I speak to the area or the valley of dry bones, the place of indecision, the place of where you've just lost hope and it's been deferred. I speak to that place in your heart and in your life and I say, come alive right now, you dreams and you destiny. I 
call you to come forth in the name of Jesus. God, I just ask right now, you can lift your hands to heaven if you want. God, I ask right now that the, there would be a resurrection power in this place to awaken and resurrect dreams. That you would cause a destiny, a sense of destiny to rise up inside of each person here. That there would be something of awakening that would take place in each person here. That I speak to those dreams and I speak to that calling and that destiny that was put into you long ago before you were even in your mother's womb. That it was stitched into the very essence and being of who you are and I say to that thing to come alive to awaken in the name of Jesus that I pray right now God that there would be a fresh baptism of your Holy Spirit of your precious spirit that there would be a new sense of confidence over your people over your sons and over your daughters that there would be a fresh boldness to come upon them in the name of Jesus that you would release callings I see right now that many of you have been you felt like you're in this uncomfortable place in life and you're trying to figure out if it's God or if it's the enemy. But I, what I saw was this picture and it was like a baby bird being kicked out of the nest. And I feel like the Lord is speaking to you and is saying, it's time for you to soar. It's time for you to fly, son. It's time for you to fly, daughter. It's not, it, it's not the enemy. I've just called you to a higher place than where you've been. That you're not to just stay in the nest any longer, but it's time for you to fly into your calling that is time for you to fly into your destiny that you would come into your rightful place as a son and as a daughter in the kingdom that you would live out your purpose that you would live out your destiny all of your days and I hear him speaking over you that these are my sons and these are my daughters and I am well satisfied I am well pleased with who they've become and who they are and I give to you my authority in the earth that whatever it is that you say to happen will happen because you are carriers of my kingly anointing and my authority And let it come, Father. Let it come like a heavy oil in this place, falling from heaven, that you would begin to anoint your sons and your daughters to live out their callings. see how there are some that have been in this uncomfortable place and then there's others that are in this valley of decision you're saying God which way is you which it's like a fork in the road and I hear the Lord saying this this is a word of wisdom for you I hear him say choose favor choose the road with favor not less resistance, but choose the road that has the most favor on it. 
for those, God, where the enemies tried to come and to shake who they are. to rob them of their identity. I ask them right now that you would remind them of not just who they are, but whose they are. just right at me. Could you come here for a moment? Hi, how are you? I'm Wesley. Nice to meet you. Just as you were sitting back there, I, I had this picture of you and I saw you like there's, you're in this place of cha- things changing, of transition. And I saw where it was like, the road in front of you was very, it's well lit. I can see the light and everything around it. It, it looks daylight. But what was behind you was like, almost like I can see darkness and night. And there's been this questioning and um, longing for answers. But I heard like this one, where were they? Where are they? And it was like, where, where are the people that said that they loved me, that they cared for me through this journey? Does this make sense? And, and I, what I saw was this, is that you may not have seen them because they were hidden, but they were the ones with flashlights that showed you the road the entire time. And it was like every so often there would be like this glimmer of light that would come into that season, into that place. And in that season where there was all this darkness, that glimmer of light was your moment of hope. And that was actually the prayers of those people that loved you and that, that cared for you. You may not have seen him because it was real, a real dark season. But I, but I want to tell you, and I, I, th- I believe you already know, that season's done, that season's over. And it's about to be a much more light-filled uh, time of your life for you where the, the things in the past are done. And just I feel like the Lord's lifting a lot of things off of you from that time period. And just where you're about to go into a new season where you're going to see the beauty of the Lord. You're going to see his hand. It was kind of like in Hosea, he said that I lured her out into the wilderness because I wanted to speak softly to her. And what he's saying is I wanted to create intimacy. I wanted to create a closeness of relationship with her. And I feel like that's kind of like what that season was for like for you, where it was just learning to kind of see the the true nature of who God is for someone uh, in, in that kind of almost like seemed desolate place. And, but what happens is everything's restored back. And so like there was a, where it also felt like you lost a lot of things through that time period. Does, does any of this make sense? Okay, good. I like to know that way. I'm, I don't feel like I'm crazy. Uh, and so, um, you know, and so with that, it's just, I feel like everything that you lost during that time, I feel like you have a strong sense of creativity, but you haven't been as creative as you once were, but that's going to come back to you. And the, cre- and the reason why it's going to come back to you is because what you'll create will be the reflection of God to other people. There's actually a remind- I'm reminded of a young girl. She had one encounter with God and began to paint at a master level. And I see that similar anointing over you and that it's because you're made in the image of a creator. And so he creates beautiful things. He creates masterful things. He, he creates master works. And so I see that same gifting, that same ability over your life. And I, like, I see these drawings and sketches like a sketchbook that you constantly draw in. But the Lord's in you, that's how you draw too, right? You're in sketchbook and you, you, that's mainly your artist's like sketch work. And, and, uh, and I see the Lord using those things as making it famous and making it known where like the, like you'll become a famous illustrator in the time, in the time of a digital age, you'll become a famous illustrator for a lost art. 
to reach a lost people. Let me see your hand. Jesus, I, I just pray right now that this anointing for creativity would just rest upon her life. That you would bring her into the realms of heaven where creativity listening to the Sunny D West audio experience. Please share this with somebody that you know would appreciate it and visit SunnyDWest.com.